This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Chris Sakalakis. Welcome back to Bay Area Ventures on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host for the evening, Chris Sakalakis, Wharton alum, bald guy, and technology executive. Um, our second guest tonight is uh, a good friend, Andre Haddad. I'm thrilled that he's here with me in the studio. Andre is the CEO of Turo, a company disrupting the car rental industry. He's passionate about cars, the consumer web, and the environment. He sees Turo as, a, as the perfect way to bring all three of these things together. Uh, before joining Turo, he was the CEO of Shopping.com and was a senior vice president at eBay, and he did a lot of other interesting things as well. But Andre, thank you so much for being here. Great to see you. Thank you, Chris. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. So um, you have a great story, and we'll, we'll talk a lot about Turo. But before we do that, I wanted to give, give our uh, audience a little bit of background on you, uh, a little bit about where you came from and, and where you grow, grew up. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. It'd be lovely. So I'm a twice an immigrant uh, story. I, my first uh, immigration story was uh, when I left Beirut, where I was born mm-hmm. and raised and spent the first 17 years of my life. I had to leave the country in 1989 because of the war. And mm-hmm. in, in some dramatic circumstances, our house was bombed and, and uh, we, uh, you know, we had to uh, evacuate you know, our home. Thankfully, everyone was fine, and and uh, you know we didn't get uh, hurt. But uh, this was uh, 14 years into a very long civil war, and that was the incident that uh, just made us move away. I was lucky to be able to uh, move to uh, France, uh, where uh, one of my uh, family members uh, was uh, my host uh, mm-hmm. and uh, helped me figure out what my next steps were, and I was very lucky and feel very grateful to have had the opportunity to pursue my higher education there. I went to uh, college and then to business school and uh, started uh, working in the late 1990s. Uh, I was always a big fan of technology and when I saw the beginning of the internet, uh, I decided to uh, found with a few other friends and and, uh, at that time colleagues, now friends, um, a uh, a new idea that time, which was uh, peer-to-peer commerce or consumer-to-consumer commerce, as uh-huh. we used to call it back then. Yeah. And the company was called iBazaar. We were the one of the very first online uh, person-to-person commerce marketplaces. Uh, and the I was for the internet, right? The I was for the internet, <laughs> exactly. And uh, the company went, uh, um, you know, uh, on a very rapid growth trajectory. We uh, raised, uh, you know, the uh, what at that time seemed to be a lot of capital today looks like it was peanuts. Uh-huh. Uh, but we raised our Series A and Series B and and uh, put the company on a great trajectory. We were uh, the you know leading e-commerce uh, player in France, and then we grew in a few other countries in Europe. We ended up being present in seven markets in uh, in Europe and became the European leader at that time. And we thought we were going to take the company public, like what most startups back then were doing. Right. You know, they were uh, going public quite early in their trajectory. And of course... This is the late 90s or so? Late 90s, yes. Yeah. yes. And of course, March 2000 happened. You know, the NASDAQ crashed and the markets, the public markets became a lot less uh, hospitable for uh, technology companies. And so I ended up uh, looking for other exit uh, options for us and ended so up this was uh, the first uh, dot-com bubble that people yes, refer to in march exactly. 2000 uh-huh. march 2000 so we ended up selling the company to ebay which uh, was uh, obviously uh, the big leader in the uh, emerging peer-to-peer commerce space and uh, was mostly present in the u.s back then and was trying to uh, expand internationally and this was a big win for ebay because they they were able to uh, dramatically accelerate their footprint in Europe. And it was a big win for iBazaar and for myself and my co-founders and our team because we were able to uh, find a good home for the business that we've built. Mm-hmm. And uh, that led me to my second immigration story, which happened uh, a couple of years after that acquisition, after uh, uh, running eBay in Europe for a short couple of years and mostly focused on the integration of the two companies. Uh, I was uh, given the uh, great opportunity to move to uh, California, to uh, 
eBay's HQ in San Jose that you're very familiar with yeah. since we were colleagues there for many years. That's right. And um, I thought it's a great opportunity. You know, let's let's do this. Back then, thinking that I'd be around for a couple of years, but here we are. You know. <laughs> <laughs> what year was that? 2002. 2002. 16 is, years yes. later, you know, I'm you're still, still here. here. Yes, still here. And uh, I had a you know an amazing uh, uh, adventure at eBay. I uh, made uh, all my friends from California at eBay. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great uh, <clears throat> you know multiple adventures. You know the time time flew by quickly. Frankly, it was almost ten years when I look back. But uh, uh, those ten years were you know full of different adventures and and roles within those ten years. I was a couple of years in Europe, as I mentioned. I uh, initially at eBay, uh, I focused on building this new team called user experience design that didn't exist uh, before me, which was ironic because I had never, you know, been a designer myself. But uh, at that time, the opportunity was there. You know, there wasn't anyone really focusing on the overall experience of our customers. So I jumped in uh, knowing that I uh, obviously needed to build a, a, an experience team in the world of experience design and the world of creative design, the world of research and so forth. That was a wonderful adventure. Uh, I then ran product for a couple of years. Uh, I uh, uh, had the opportunity in my last few years at eBay to run Shopping.com, which was an acquisition that eBay made in 2005. Another marketplace, but a different marketplace, a marketplace that's mostly uh, catering for the big retailers uh, and that was providing them with an opportunity to uh, provide all their product catalogs and compare prices and, and reviews and so forth for for the world pre-Google, uh, pre-Google shopping. And uh, we, uh, you know, I had a great time there and, and uh, but I, you know, I knew that uh, I uh, was going to uh, go back to something but a bit more uh, nimble, a bit more entrepreneurial and, and so I ended up uh, joining Turo uh, a little bit over six and a half years now, uh, wow. when the company was very, very s early stage, and our founder, Shelby Clark, had started the company in 2010. And initially, I was thinking about uh, collaborating with Shelby and the Turo team as a, as a, uh, you know, an, a, a, an external board member, uh, an independent board member. Mm -hmm. But one thing led to another, and I ended up joining the company as CEO. And that was in 2012. In September 2011, even. 2011, yes, okay. Yes, yes, So six and a half years, congratulations. What, what is it that you found compelling about the company? Um, first, I guess, what attracted you to even start advising the company and then to decide to, to become the CEO? What I found very compelling was the uh, opportunity that the company was pursuing, which was staring at our face, but I staring at my face, certainly, and I just didn't register it. And it's mm -hmm. sort of a fascinating example of where Sometimes you've got something in front of you, but it's just not so clear. And the opportunity that was staring, I think, at our face and continues to a very large extent to be staring at our face today and still early stage in developing this uh, new market is the opportunity to uh, make the cars that we have on our roads and in our garages and, you know, in our uh, parked in our at our homes uh, to be much more productive. Um, you know, the notion that we've got all these cars sitting in the driveways and parking lots, et cetera, and they're used a very small fraction of the time. The opportunity to uh, enable the car owner to uh, take advantage of their car when they're not using it and renting it out and earn money with their vehicle and uh, to turn this uh, asset that up to now has been uh, mostly associated with costs and headaches, can be associated with uh, passion and enthusiasm, of uh -huh. course, if you're a car enthusiast, but for most people, it's uh, primarily a cost center and, and an asset that doesn't really have a very strong ROI when you think about the depreciation of the car over time and you think about all the operating costs that are associated with the car even when you're not using it all the time. And the opportunity is to turn that cost center into a, an earnings engine instead of just costing you money. It can start earning money. And for me, the parallel uh, with iBazaar and eBay was pretty clear from the very beginning. You know, in, in, instead of uh, throwing these used goods that you were no longer enjoying or just putting them in your garage or in your attic, attic or <laughs> basement, yeah. basement, whatever, invading your, your <laughs> home with all of your used stuff that you're no longer using, you're no longer fond of, eBay enabled a lot of people to, you know, to uh, be much smarter about all of their... Uh, belongings and and be able to turn some of those you know unused goods into somebody else's used and loved good uh, 
And uh, I thought the opportunity for cars was just uh, potentially as big or even bigger than the, the eBay opportunity because, you know, when you think about the number of cars that are out there, the, 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 and the weight of cars in every, everybody's lives is just staggering. Uh, there are more than 1.1 billion cars now around the world. Uh, wow. Last year, we added around 65 million net new additions uh, to the global fleet of cars. Uh, that uh, consumers have uh, op are operating. There are almost 300 million cars in the U.S. Uh, versus 200 million drivers, just to give you a sense. Uh, so we've got a pretty high ratio of cars per, per driver here in, mm -hmm. in, in the U.S. And if you were to think about all the money that's gone into acquiring these cars, it's literally trillions of dollars that have been invested in, in, in this underutilized asset. And so, you know, it, it was an opportunity that was staring at us because we just got used to this notion that you know a car is going to be utilized only from time to time that uh, otherwise it's going to be parked all the time we've accepted the notion that the car is going to lose value and is going to cost us money and and uh you know we uh, just grew, all grew up with this idea mm -hmm. and uh what i loved about uh you know the the idea behind turo was that it was really pioneering something that we've never done before no one's done before and and, uh, you know, I love to be part of uh, pioneering new ideas, ideas that, you know, may appear a bit crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember when I was pitching our very first investors back in 1998 in France, just for context for your uh, readers and, and listeners, uh, you know, the internet penetration at that time was around 2%, you know, only 2% wow. of... In 98. In 98, yeah. yeah. Wow. In France, it was 2%. So it was a bit more developed in the U.S., maybe 4 or 5%, but, you know, most people experienced no internet and a few people experience a little bit of internet and of course the internet that we experienced back then was very different from what we experience today um at that time you know most computers had uh, that were connected were connected through 28k modem connections you know where when i explained this to my team at Turo, they're like what uh, what does that mean what's 28k 28k yeah I try to tell them, you know, have you seen a fax machine? <laughs> Some of them have recognized the word fax machine, and if they do, <laughs> I tell them, well, it's like the fax machine. It connects to the, you know, to the telephone network at those, you know, impressive speeds <laughs> of download. <laughs> and uh, and so at that time, when I was pitching investors uh, to uh, fund iBazaar, you know, a lot of people thought this was insane. You know, the, this is a, you know, how how is this going to work? And you know, there were no there were very few people who were on the internet. There were very few people uh, who were actually using it on a daily basis. Uh, there were no, uh, there was no infrastructure around payments and shipping and you know all the things that we take for granted today. And so, you know, a lot of people thought, you know, we were insane when we were uh, pitching the idea of iBazaar to them, including family members and friends and, and not just investors and. Uh, what I found striking with uh, Turo is back in 2011 when when I started talking about Turo to some friends and and to you know get the feedback from investors. A lot of people had the same reaction, which is this is crazy. You know, rental who'd cars. Who'd rent out their who'd, car? Who'd rent out their car? You yeah. know, it's a crazy idea. How would you trust a stranger to drive your car? And uh, by the way, did you notice how people treat rental cars from rental car companies? You know, they are not exactly the kind of cars that you want to buy if you're looking mm -hmm. for a second-hand car. So all, all, and of course, a lot of questions around, but how do you deal with insurance? And, you know, how will people, how will it actually work? Do they have to meet in person? There's a lot of friction. Uh, and so I, you know, I thought uh, there was a, a lot of parallel with the craziness of, you <laughs> know, starting person-to-person -person commerce back in the late 1990s. And uh, obviously a different context and, you know, it's a different era, different time, but I'm attracted to these crazy ideas. Well, it's great. It seems like it's worked out, though. So tell us a little bit about Turo now, six and a half years later. Give us a little sense of the, the size of the business, just so everyone understands how successful it's been. It's been uh, going really well. The company has gone through uh, a lot of growth over the last six and a half years. You know, when I listed uh, my 911 back in 2012, it was listing number 279. <laughs> I was, I was uh, <laughs> you know, we had uh, 278 cars that were listed before me. Right. 
and uh, and so uh, I still have that car, by the way. It's uh, it's uh, still available on tour. If you want, if anyone uh, oh, listening, right. you want to rent it out. There's a plug. A great, yeah, it's a great. Uh, it's a 2006 Carrera S. It has the eBay Motors uh, license plate holder, by the way. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, that some of my buddies at eBay Motors had given me at that time. So. Uh, it's a car that I love, and of course, I was the very first 911 back then. And a lot of people thought I was completely crazy to uh, the first 911 on tour. On tour, yeah. yes, uh, and a stick shift one on top of that. Uh-huh. You know, so super crazy to right. do this. Uh, now, you know, it's uh, you know, it's a, it's a listing that uh, matured well. I have more than a hundred uh, reviews on it, hundred trips that were uh, that were completed on that. Uh, on that listing over the last few years. And uh, we now have, we just crossed actually an important uh, milestone for us at the end of last year, which is uh, 200,000 listings on the platform that were cumulatively listed uh, over the last few years. So, you know, far cry from the first 200. 279, uh, yeah. And uh, we also crossed another exciting milestone for us uh, last year. At the end of last year, we crossed 5 million users. So we're wow. we're excited about that that part of the you know, the growth as well. And by and users, you mean people who have an- actually rented who've actually, or listed? Who've signed up or listed. Yeah. Um, on the rental, we, you know, we measure uh, the activity based on the number of days of, uh, of trips booked. Mm-hmm. And last year, we crossed the 4 million days for wow. the first time. So 4 million days. 4 million wow. days. So it's uh, still early stage, though, because, you know, as I mentioned, the just in the U.S. alone, we've got 300 million cars that are potentially, you know, could be on tour one day. And of course, uh, globally, it's even bigger. So we're uh, excited about the momentum that we're seeing in the business. Uh, we're excited to, uh, you know, to prove that uh, the value proposition that we're offering to our hosts, which is that they can you know, recover a big part of their cost of ownership or actually even make a profit with their car, are you know, bearing out in the, in the numbers. And, and I think that's what's driving the, the growth in the business. That's great. Um, if you're just tuning in, uh, I'm Chris Sakalakis, and you're listening to Bay Area Ventures. My guest tonight is Andre Haddad, the CEO of Turo. If you have a question for Andre or myself, please give us a call at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So, again, congratulations on the success of Turo, all that you've done over the last uh, uh, six and a half years. Just uh, geographically, where can people use the service? You, you mentioned the United States, mm-hmm. but you've expanded internationally as well. Yeah, we started uh, expanding internationally uh, just a couple of years ago. So we are still primarily in the U.S. Uh, in the U.S., we're all over the country, and, and you can use us for, uh, uh, for trips uh, in uh, all the major metropolitan areas as well as the major airports. And um, in, uh, outside of the U.S., we're now available in Canada and uh, five provinces in Canada and uh, the UK. And we just launched in Germany a couple of months ago. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. So uh, you, you mentioned, um, you know, the success is great and it's always great like six and a half years later, hey, look at how much we've accomplished, but it, you know, it doesn't come easily, right? Um, you mentioned the rental car business as that was the comparable that investors look, looked at. They said, you know, wh- have you ever seen a rental car and how people... <laughs> mishandle that um and that one of the challenges was was figuring that out how do people meet and so forth and mm-hmm. maybe you can talk a little about about that but more broadly you're disrupting this traditional car rental business that's been around for a long time so maybe you you could talk a little bit about the challenges you face both in terms of the competition and just the logistics the operations of actually making a peer-to-peer car rental business work uh, so that the the people who are renting out their cars don't are happy with that <laughs> experience. As yeah, opposed don't to have unhappy. any bad experiences. Yeah, yeah. It, you know it's uh, fascinating. I mean, you and I know how much complexity there is in in managing a marketplace. Yeah, know, right. You've got uh, you've got a lot of different elements that uh, come into play. You've got uh, two sets of uh, of customers and stakeholders. Mm-hmm. You've got you know the suppliers and then the the consumers. In our uh, two row parlance, we call them the hosts and the guests. You know, the host is the owner of the vehicle that offers it up for uh, sharing and then the guest is the traveler who's who's booking the car from from the uh from the car owner and uh you know so in in our business uh obviously it's a technology business at first so you you want to build that tech platform that uh, creates the framework that enables the uh host and the guest to connect uh, a lot of a lot of efforts go into uh designing 
kind of the right balance of features and experiences for the host to be successful, including things like listing your vehicle, pricing your vehicle, uh, taking photos of your vehicle and enabling those photos to look beautiful on our app and you know in our websites and and then on the guest side the opportunity there is to of course uh, create uh, the right level of searching and browsing and merchandising so that the traveler can find the right car for them uh, and uh, the one that's adapted to whatever trip that they're you know looking to make and then of course uh, you know behind the scenes uh, we do a lot of things that uh, are not necessarily uh, traditionally associated with, uh, you know, with marketplaces. In our case, you know, we play a big, big role in uh, the uh, trust and safety and the insurance and the risk management in general in the marketplace. One of the big innovations that we uh, have uh, enabled in this market, and we're glad to see it propagate in a lot of different sectors now, is this notion of peer-to-peer insurance. You know, the notion of peer-to-peer insurance did not exist before Turo. And okay. Uh, we helped create this new insurance product, uh, which obviously has been delivered not by us directly because we're not an insurance company, but by our insurance partners. And that product uh, provides uh, our hosts and guests with great coverage when their car is being um, used on Turo. So when you're listing your car on Turo, you continue to have your own personal coverage, let's say with Progressive or State Farm or any of the, mm-hmm. any of the personal carriers of uh, uh, auto insurance. But those policies will not cover you for any commercial activity with your vehicle. And That's of right. course, you know, renting uh, your vehicle on our platform is considered commercial use of your vehicle since you're earning money with the car. Even if it's just to offset the cost of ownership because it's earning money, it's considered to be a commercial activity from an insurance standpoint. And so we have uh, therefore created a commercial insurance policy that covers you know, the uh, hosts and guests. And uh, we're working uh, with Liberty Mutual in the U.S., with other partners like Allianz in Germany and Intact in Canada. And uh, those are our partners who actually administer the policy and, of course, provide, you know, all of the, all of the uh, claims experience uh, if there is a claim mm-hmm. against the policy. So behind the scenes, you know, we're a big risk management engine uh, and we're uh, building um, a... Uh, you know, new risk models associated with peer-to-peer car sharing, and there is no really reference in the market. We're creating this, you know, this uh, risk area from scratch since we have the data on, you know, the risk that exists in that marketplace, and uh, there's uh, no one else w- that can provide it, and nowhere else we can find it. So we're actually, you know, building it on build the it yourself. Yeah. Yes. So, so those are some of the, you know, big challenges with, uh, with, you know, scaling the company. It's. Uh, First of all, finding the right uh, uh, product market fit. Uh, initially, we thought uh, the right product market fit for Turo was in very short duration trips, hourly trips. That was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the vision of Shelby at the beginning, and that's what the company was doing when I joined in September 11. We were offering our uh, consumers hourly trips only, and uh, at that time, to enable these hourly trips, we uh, had developed uh, hardware that was installed in each one of those vehicles that enabled uh, the car to uh, be remotely locked and unlocked so that you know the uh, the guest that's booking it can get into the car a little bit like a zip car if you you've had that experience mm-hmm. without actually meeting the host in person and just taking it for you know an hour or two to run an errands and then return it to the place it was parked that was the initial approach we've pivoted quite uh, a lot from that approach uh, we we uh, realized that um, you know installing hardware in people's cars was a no go. Uh, <laughs> a little difficult. <laughs> a little difficult. Yes. The uh, you know if you if you and of course as you know to build the marketplace you've got to have supply not just demand right? right. And if if supply is very challenging to acquire because fundamentally people are not comfortable or just too lazy to uh, install this hardware in their vehicles you know your supply is not going to scale quickly enough uh, for the business to become meaningful. And Mm so we've pivoted away from uh, installing that hardware in the vehicles. And uh, once we did that, we also pivoted away from the hourly uh, rental use case and uh, opened up the market for, you know, daily, weekly and longer rentals. And we've had a lot of success with with this approach uh, it's unlocked supply dramatically as i mentioned you know from 200 cars in 2011 to now 200,000 
And of course, with more supply comes you know, demand and comes um, the uh, data that enables us to manage supply and demand and mm. conversion and pricing and all of that. Uh, and so it was a challenging process to, you know, to pivot away from that initial approach uh, because you're always uh, wondering, you know, is this going to be a better place for, for the company or should we just optimize what we already know how to do? And, um, you know, frankly, at that time, a lot of people, including a lot of investors, were skeptical that here we go. We were uh, actually pioneering some really interesting in-car in technology to now right. we're purely a software play. You know, this doesn't seem to be uh, as exciting and as innovative as, you know, the initial vision. Uh, and that's true to, to, to a large extent, but we, we, uh, we continue to believe that, uh, you know, cars are changing a lot and a lot of cars will, will have all this, you know, cool hardware that uh, will enable a lot of these things, but it's going to be the OEMs that will be producing them and inclu including them in the car of the future as the cars become more connected and electric and, and autonomous over time. Yeah, so it's interesting. You you know you're this high tech technology company, and what you found was that the the low tech approach, where you have the the owner of the car meet the renter and hand over the keys, that actually works better because it allows you. It's it's just easier all around. Yeah, it, it's very paradoxical to come to that conclusion, uh, and as you can imagine, emotionally that was a hard conclusion to come to when you're you know tech company <laughs> right. building technology all day long. The reality is, you know, you've got to be with technology, you've got to be at the right time. You know, you can't be too early, you can't be too late. Obviously, if you're too late, it's pretty clear why it doesn't work. But if you're too early, it doesn't work either. Yeah. And the reality is consumers were not ready. And I think they, con they continue not to be ready at this point in time to, you know, have this kind of uh, friction introduced in their ownership experience where they have to go in and enter and, and sort of install this additional piece of hardware. Right. And, uh, you know, the behind the scenes, it was it's all about trust and safety. You know, it's about uh, the perception that uh, the owner of the vehicle has uh, of uh, the safety of their vehicle. If uh, they don't really know who's driving their car and if they haven't had a chance to uh, uh, to uh, interact with them, uh, whether it's online or in person when they're delivering the car to them or when they're picking up from them, you know, they just didn't feel the the they could trust the you know this unknown person to be driving their car and as you know a big ingredient of making marketplaces work is you you know creating a, an environment where both the provider and the consumer feels that uh, there is a, a a high level of safety in the marketplace that they can trust one another and uh, you know, that uh, initial approach where everything was handled by the hardware and you didn't even know who's booking your car because there was no reason, right? There was no right. reason for, you know, Chris to know that Andre is picking up his car today because... You're not going to see Andre. I'm not going to see him yeah. and, you know, and it's booked automatically anyway and you don't have to intervene. So uh, that environment where it's all very uh, anonymous just turned off, you know, a lot of uh, the vast majority, I would say, of our, of our, of our users. And so you've got to find, you've got to apply the right level of technology at the right time and understand that you're dealing with people and people may or may not be ready for certain technologies. Right. That's a great point. We're, we're going to need to take a short break right now. Um, for those of you listening, I'm Chris Sakalakis, your host this evening. Stay with me as I continue my conversation with my guest, Andre Haddad, the CEO of Turo, after the break. You're listening to Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Bay Area Ventures on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Chris Sakalakis, internet entrepreneur and Wharton alum, and my guest this hour is Andre Haddad, CEO of Turo. Before the break, we were talking about how you, you can't really introduce technology to consumers if they're not ready for it, and how you made this pivot from uh, kind of having this very slick system where uh, the people renting out cars on Turo, they would they would install something in their car so that it could be unlocked by someone authorized by Turo to to rent the car. But then you got you got rid of all that, and now it's just you hand over keys, and it's pretty pretty low tech, pretty straightforward. Um, so that that's one of the challenges you you talked about. You had this uh, this uh, pivot from going from an hourly basis to a daily basis, and from having this high tech solution to a, a low tech solution, but it meant. Uh, more rentals, more better satisfaction for both renters and, and the hosts. 
um, for making those changes. Uh, what have been some of the other challenges? Uh, you know, it hasn't been six and a half years or everything is easy, right? Yes, it's not very linear. <laughs> not not linear. <laughs> you know, there's uh, been a, a, a lot of uh, sort of discovery of what the product uh, market fit is. Uh, I, I mentioned some of those elements, uh, you know, moving away from the hourly uh, approach to uh, longer duration rentals. We... Uh, um, we had uh, many discoveries, and, and a lot of them were actually uh, interestingly uh, driven by our hosts, by our community. Um, as, as you know, Chris, when you're building a person-to-person -person platform, you know, you've got uh, you know, two sets of uh, stakeholders. You've got the consumer. Uh, usually, you know, consumers are not as vocal and not as engaged uh, as the providers in right. the marketplace. You know, our hosts, in the case of Tiro, sellers at eBay and, and StubHub, etc., and our hosts uh, drove a lot of the, you know, the changes that, that we've, we've made over mm. time, actually. Okay. Um, one of them that uh, was uh, quite transformative for, for the company was uh, uh, the uh, notion uh, of enabling our hosts to deliver cars to you know, other destinations and not just their home location. You know, when we initially conceived uh, of Turo, uh, we thought that... Uh, you know, this is a uh, individual that's going to be renting out their car from either their home or from their office, perhaps parking garage or, you know, s some place where they spend a lot of time in because they're, that's where they're going to be able to meet the, uh, you know, the, the guest yes. and mm -hmm. that's going to be coming up, coming to pick up the car. And, uh, you know, in 2015, we started getting uh, a lot of uh, anecdotal requests from uh our hosts that we'd be meeting in community meetups, uh, we'd uh, go visit uh, our community in different parts of the country, and uh, we'd spend uh, a few hours with them and have some drinks and, and uh, offer our, our appreciation and invite them for a meal, etc., and get to know them more on a personal basis. And then, of course, as you can imagine, the course of these dinners and drinks, <laughs> everybody would come in <laughs> with a litany, on the drinks. <laughs> <laughs> a litany of their requests. Right. right? Uh, slash complaints. Yeah. Exactly. Slash complaints. Exactly. Uh, so here's, you know, usually with the CEO, it's more requests than complaints. My team gets more of the, the complaints. There's right. uh, this uh, unfortunate hierarchy that happens. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, on, in terms of the, the, the requests, uh, there'd be a lot of requests that were, you know, logical and, you know, sort of the next step of the evolution of our f features and, and software, etc. But then there'd all be, always be these uh, interesting requests that were, you know, not necessarily part of the way the team internally was thinking about mm -hmm. the future of the business. And one of them was this host, I recall very clearly, he, he, had, he was in D.C., and uh, you know he had a uh, um, a car. He'd been a, a, a active, successful host in the DC uh, area, and he s he was uh, constantly letting us know that he'd like to be able to deliver his uh, car at the airport mm. uh, in DC. And and we told him, but what do you mean at the airport? Uh, how are you, you know, going to do that? Uh, it just doesn't seem to be something that would work out maybe you have some special deal with the airport or you have some special parking place at the airport but how are you going to actually do it he's like well i've been doing it i just put in my in my listing description um, which is a sort of an open field where we allow our hosts to describe yeah. their car and and describe uh, the do's and don'ts and whatever the, there's on their mind some of them write poems some of them <laughs> <laughs> Some of them uh, have uh, humorous posts. You know, we let everybody's personality shine in, in that sure. uh, listing. And he told us, well, I've, I've put in, in my listing that I'm happy to drop off the car at the airport. And, you know, if you pay me uh, a $20 fee, I will meet you at the airport and you just give me your flight information and, you know, and we'll, we'll get it done there. And we were somewhat incredulous <laughs> that someone would do this, right? How dare you use our platform for that? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, sometimes with marketplaces, there are lots of edge cases, right? Mm -hmm. You know, lots yeah. of people do all kinds of cool things with the marketplace. Uh, so it, it's good that we empower our hosts to do that. But then moving in a, in a more, uh, you know, affirmative uh, position where we would enable it uh, on behalf of all of our hosts was yet another important step to 
uh, get to, and we were not convinced that uh, this was actually going to be a, a, a real opportunity that our, our users would uh, take advantage of. But one thing led to another. We started seeing more and more of our hosts offering uh, that, uh, that informal delivery service in, in the description uh, right. of their listing. At, at this point, they're like hacking your system. To they're do hacking it. our yeah. system, exactly. Yeah. They're hacking system. And they're hacking it with limited uh, um, you know, efficacy because uh, you know, when you're a uh, traveler looking for cars at an airport, at that, time, at that point in time, because no car was physically available at the airport, and you'd run a search on Turo for, let's say, SFO or LAX or what have you, Dulles Airport, you'd get zero results. Right. <laughs> so those listings were not actually findable directly through our search engine. Yeah. They were findable through other ways. Right. Uh, but it limited dramatically their efficacy since, uh, you know, they were not, according to Turo's search technology, listed at an airport location. Mm -hmm. So one thing led to another, and this uh, this became like the number one request from our from our hosts uh, over time, and we decided to just do it and see what happens. and And so at the end of end of uh, 2015, uh, we launched our very first iteration of our you know delivery feature, which allows uh, hosts to deliver cars initially only at airports, uh, and would allow them to specify a delivery fee. And we let them decide what delivery fee they wanted to charge their, their guest. And in two weeks, two-thirds of our listings offered that feature. Two-thirds? Yes. In two weeks? In two weeks. Wow. This was one of the fastest, uh, most successful adoption of any feature that I've ever been yeah, part I, of, frankly. It's the same for me. I, from, I, from I, any who would have guessed that? But, but it, be, it came because you were listening to your customers. I guess we were sort of late even to listening. <laughs> you know, we were resisting that right. because, you know, we... And it's funny, today, even today, you know, when uh, when I'm telling folks, uh, in particular investors, we tell them actually, you know, to, you know a, a significant part of our business is now uh, cars that are delivered to the guest's location at the airport and, uh, and now we have lots of other delivery, you know, options. products and options. Yeah. You can deliver to a hotel or in a radius or, you know, whatever it is that the delivery feature has evolved significantly since since then they're incredulous they're like but how do they get back home <laughs> <laughs> and what's uh, it's amazing you know, how interested they are in, in the in that person's uh, health and welfare <laughs> yes. at that point <laughs> exactly uh, w so we uh, you know we uh, didn't uh, you know ourselves we were skeptical like how would they get back home but uh -huh. you know when when uh, what what turns out is you know the average trip at an airport is around a three hundred and fifty dollar ATV uh, transaction value, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know our hosts typically keep uh, you know seventy five percent of that. This is the total trip value, and you know the, the we have a, reven a revenue share with our hosts, so yep. we keep twenty five percent. They keep seventy five percent, and you know so in with one trip you can practically pay for your car payments. So a lot of our hosts are making the calculus that. Yes, there's a bit of you know friction, but by offering my listing at the airport, I'm going to maximize my earnings potential, and you know with one or two trips, I can start making profits on my car, and it's worth the you know the effort to doing it. And yeah. Of course, we don't mandate it because we we're, we're, uh, we understand that some of our hosts just don't have the bandwidth to do it, so it's not a requirement to offer that delivery feature. It's an option, but it's a very popular option with our guests and. And that's enabled us to suddenly go from a, you know, peer-to-peer -peer car sharing option that's only relevant for city dwellers who are looking to uh, uh, leave their city for a weekend trip to suddenly now, and so that's a very local market. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard to build network effects in a local market because you've got to have a lot of supply and a lot of demand locally, which right. is challenging. One place, yeah. Uh, to a place where you know we uh, now have uh, lots of supply that's uh, available for travelers coming into the uh, you know whatever you know metropolitan area they're visiting, and that's a business where the network effect is a lot easier to build because the domestic the national network network effects you know don't uh, require. Uh, from a geographic standpoint, they don't. They only require having a decent selection at an airport location, and you get to that decent selection at airport location much more rapidly than you would get to a decent selection that covers a whole city. Right. Because of the proximity. Yeah. 
And so that's uh, not only enabled us, therefore, to you know create uh, a uh, significant new avenue for the business to grow into, which is you know the airport travelers that are uh, looking to get a car for their trips, but it also fundamentally helped us accelerate the network effects in the business. That's great. Um, so interesting again how you listened. Your your users, your host started doing this w without your help, and then eventually you caught up. But but it is an example of how you listen to your customers and, and create that innovation. Um, folks, if you're just joining us, uh, I'm Chris Sakalakis, and you're listening to Bay Area Ventures. I'm speaking with Andre Haddad, the CEO of Turo, um, and we were just talking about some of the challenges and and changes that have happened to Turo over the last six and a half years that. Andre's been there. Uh, if you'd like to join the conversation or a have a, c a question for Andre or myself, our phone lines are open at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-WHARTON. Um, so you talked about you know getting to this model where you have uh, airport pickups, which was not something that you started with. Um, there's someone else who's at airports. And those are the car rental agencies, right? Part of part of your business is um, enabling owners of cars to recoup some of the huge investment they put in their cars. But for the car rental agency, it's kind of a it, it can be seen as a threat, I guess. And so, do you want to talk at all about that part of the challenge in in, bu in building the business? Sure. You know, this is a, a, an increasingly important challenge for us. Uh, you know, over the last uh, six to 12 months, we've seen uh, a lot of action from the incumbents in the rental car industry, in particular Enterprise, which is the largest player in this $80 billion industry. They, they're they a very successful uh, uh, $20 billion plus dollar company uh, that uh, is a private company, and they're the leading player in the U.S. and globally. They own around... Uh, almost 50% of the market in the U.S., so they're they're wow. a huge huge player. They have multiple brands, and so Enterprise is the corporate name, but they they have different different brands targeting. They have national as well. National, I think, is yeah. one of one of the brands that they've uh, acquired or uh, you know assembled over time. Um, yes, there's uh, you know th those incumbents are uh, I think uh, looking at the growth of Turo and uh, connecting the dots. You know they they see what. Uh, you know, new uh, uh, technologies and new uh, services that are enabled with uh, the internet, with mobile, have uh, uh, have had in terms of impact in uh, all kinds of industries, whether, you know, it's peer-to-peer uh, -peer commerce with eBay and the impact that uh, marketplaces have had in e-commerce in general to most recently, you know, the uh, growth of home sharing and uh, and ride sharing and the impact that Airbnb and Uber and Lyft and other players have had you know f to uh, on the on the hotel and and taxi industries and transportation industries so I think they are concerned about uh, uh, what we're uh, building with Turo and they see a uh, competitor that has uh, significant uh, advantages versus the traditional rental car companies you know one of our one of our biggest advantages versus the rental car industries is that uh, you know our marketplace uh, thrives on huge selection of vehicles uh, traditional rental car players uh, because of their model uh, that is uh, um, constrained by the uh, need to uh, own and operate a very large fleet of vehicles. Mm -hmm. uh, these guys have hundreds of thousands of cars in their fleets or millions of cars in their fleet, and they need to ensure very high utilization of their fleet. Right. So as a result, they tend to simplify their fleet offerings to you know six or eight categories of cars, such as standard or intermediate or economy or mm -hmm. compact, et cetera. Turo, on the other hand, uh, enables a lot more consumer choice. You know, we don't worry about utilization at Turo because we don't have any fixed costs associated with right. holding these cars. Turo doesn't own the cars, yeah. So as a result, we've got more than uh, 850 makes and models now on Turo, whereas wow. you know, on a good day in a rental car agency, you have a choice between you know, five to eight types of cars. And uh, yeah, it's what what type of white Toyota Corolla do you want? Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, and you know, and and then of course uh, the, the on, on our app you you get to uh, you know filter by all kinds of different ways. You know, if you want uh, a car that has uh, 
you know, a ski rack, you can find that for your yeah. next trip to the mountains. Or if you want a, uh, you can search and filter by color. You want to drive a r red car for this Valentine's Day uh -huh. or whatever it is. You know, so it's a it's a very different and more exciting shopping experience with a lot more selection, a lot more ways to find that perfect car for your for your trip. So that's that's a threat for for a model that has commoditized cars as uh, you know point A to point B type transportation methods that are primarily differentiated by size, yeah. right? And by price. So size and price, the rest is commodity. On the other hand, what we're bringing is a lot more, I think, fun and choice and personality to you know, the, the shopping experience for your next uh, car uh, and for your next travel. And uh, you know, of course, that's a big threat for their model because they can't replicate that. That's impossible for their, for their rental car industry to replicate. Right. You know, the utilization rate in the traditional players has to be above 80% for them to break even. Wow. And so because of that, you've got to cater for uh, you know, sort of uh, fungible demand and supply, and you've got to be able to put people in another economy car if the economy car that you thought you were going to bring them in was no longer available for right. whatever reason, you know, at the agency. You know, another big factor that uh, is hard for the uh, rental car companies to replicate is price. You know, a little bit like uh, eBay, where you know we at that time eBay was uh, such a popular option for used goods or uh, for goods that were out of season, and and you know the prices were very competitive with uh, with you know brand new goods. Uh, they were usually a fraction of of, of the price of of the brand new goods equivalent. Same thing with you know Airbnb and and Uber, etc. A lot of the cars that are offered on uh, on Turo are three to four years old. That's kind of the sweet spot of the age uh, of our vehicles today. And of course, as you can imagine, with these four-year-old, let's say four-year-old cars, most of the depreciation has already happened in the first four years of the vehicle's age. Yeah. So when we help our hosts price their vehicle. Uh, they can control the price, but they look at our recommendations and that influences their choices. You know, our pricing uh, recommendations are based on the actual current value of the vehicle. And, and that's often you know, a 50% plus discount versus a, a brand, brand new, new vehicle, car, yeah. which then yeah. translates into those rates. So you know, there are, uh, without going into all the details, uh, th there's, there's lots of inherent competitive advantage that we have. And I think it's very hard for a traditional fleet-based company to replicate them. It's impossible, in my view, for them to replicate them. And so they're trying to now go after us using their political powers, using their influence with you know, uh, state regulators, with uh, airport authorities. Recently, uh, you know, it was very clear to us that uh, uh, they were uh, very much behind the scenes influencing SFO, San Francisco airports, uh, uh, you know, assessment of Turo and unwillingness to cooperate with us to try to find a, a way for us to pay them. If you believe it or not, we're trying to pay a fee to SFO and they refused. <laughs> right. We told them we'd like to. We'd Your money's no good here. You, we, we we told them, listen, we we uh, you guys are important for us. You know, we know our hosts are are using the airports to do these pickups and deliveries. Uh, they use your airport the way TNCs, uh, you know, the transportation, uh, the you know, the Ubers and Lyfts use use uh, you know the the airport. They come in at the curb and then they pick up and they drop off at the curb. Right. Uh, they use it similar to you know how a limo or a taxi or you know. Hotel shuttle would use the airport infrastructure. We'd like you to pay. We'd like to pay you an equivalent fee uh, of of those companies. And they were ignoring us until until just recently. They decided to sue us, uh, and they're oh. they're trying to have us. Uh, so the airport is suing you. Yes, the airport is suing us, and, and SFO is suing us. Uh, they're they're trying after to have you've us been trying to give them money. Yeah, they want us to pay the rental car money, like the same amount that the rental car companies yes. pay. Yes. And of course, the rental car fees are much higher because rental cars, you know, have a, a much bigger impact on the airports uh, at SFO, uh, for example. But at almost every airport, you know, they typically use uh, a lot of space. They have thousands of cars parked at the airport mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. the, this is, you know, part of their model. Uh, they maintain those cars at the airport, etc. So they have a, a bigger impact on the airport footprint uh, than you know, the peer-to-peer -peer sharing model would do, but they want us to pay, uh, you know, the uh, rental car fees because Enterprise has been telling them, you have to level the playing field. But doesn't, don't those car rental agencies actually have property on 
mm-hmm. at the airport? Yes, they they well they have all those parking locations and the agencies and, and all the transportation. Pay that amount of money. Mm-hmm. But you don't have any no rental or property. No, we don't. Interesting. So it's not exactly a fair fight, but. They're the entrenched competitor. Yeah, we expect more of that, and we're ready to fight them. Uh, you know, it's a it's a it's an important challenge for us. Obviously, where we we take this very seriously. We're trying to work as collaboratively as possible with the airports and the regulators, but we're trying to tell our story rather than have enterprise tell their story. Right. Well, I wish you luck. Um, so I assume you're in this uh, fun discovery phase or you, the lawsuit. Yeah, I don't. Yes. I don't. Uh, we, we've just filed our countersuit actually just last week. So we're nice. Well, con- we're well, uh, we're uh, we're fighting back. Good, good. I wish you luck with that. Yeah, going against the man. Um, so we started the show talking about how this job has combined your loves of cars and the environment and um, and uh, of marketplaces. Sometimes I've seen, I saw this a little bit at StubHub, you know, when you have a love of sports and then you start working in the sports industry, you don't love it so much anymore because it, <laughs> it kind of ruins the experience. Has that been your experience or do you still have that same love of cars? No, I that hasn't changed. Uh, I think, uh, you know, getting, getting to, uh, you know, shape this business over the last few years uh, has uh, definitely... Uh, uh, enabled me to learn a ton about uh, aspects of uh, the business that I wasn't fully conscious of when I started. You know, in particular, the elements around insurance and risk. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, more recently, the regulatory elements and uh, you know the uh, David versus Goliath fight. You know, the small startup against the twenty-one billion dollar enterprise that owns fifty percent of the market in the in the U.S. So those those are things that. Uh, where you know I'm I'm learning and growing, but I still love cars. I still love our mission. Uh, I think uh, you know every time I uh, I meet our hosts and they tell me their stories of how you know we're enabling them to pay for their cars. Every time I read a nice feedback verbatim, it just makes my day. That's awesome, and I think that's a great place to end. Um, that's all we have time for today, Andre. Thank you so much for joining us uh, in the studio this hour. For those of you who are interested uh, in um, experiencing what it's like to rent someone else's car and actually picking exactly the car you want to rent, which is something I've done on Turo. Uh, go to Turo.com. That's T-U-R-O.com. Uh, and you can follow Andre on Twitter uh, at Andre underscore Haddad, H-A-D-D-A-D. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, be sure to follow our show on Twitter at BizRadio111. Um, as a reminder, we air live each Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, right here on SiriusXM's Business Radio Channel 111. Uh, I want to thank my uh, my guests, in addition to the the audience out there for listening to us, but I want to thank my guests uh, once again for being here with us today. Kara Golden joined us in the first hour, the founder and CEO of Hint Water, and you can uh, you can learn more about Hint at drinkhint.com. And once again, Andre Haddad, the CEO of Turo. Uh, I want to thank our producer, Brian Drew, our assistant producer, Charlene Goto, who's here with us in San Francisco, and uh, our engineer, Tatiana Zamis. Um, for SiriusXM, I'm Chris Sakalakis, and you've been listening to Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, SiriusXM 111. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 